All right. I will uh, ask for this measure of grace this morning. She'll allow me to take my mask off just while I'm preaching. If I offer an invitation and don't put it back on, start waving at me and remind me. Um, ask Celeste, is, is, that, is that okay? She's kind of been my medical advisor through a lot of this. And she says, yeah, you might pass out if you don't. So here we go. Uh, I'm grateful for that. Well, I tell you, one of my favorite things in the world is um, being right. I love it. I always have. Uh, it came very natural to me as a child to be right all the time. Uh, and I've just always enjoyed that. There's nothing I love more than a really good I told you so. Um, it makes parenting a real adventure. I get to hold on to lots of I told you so's with my kids, and they love it. They love it. They're so grateful all the time. Um, a couple of weeks ago, something happened at home, and I won't give you all the details, but something happened where Carter had been giving Leah some advice, and, and the thing that he had been advising her came to, warning her about came to pass. Uh, and I... And, I asked Leah, which I'll just tell you, I didn't get her permission, but she doesn't care. Uh, Leah was standing on a rolling office chair while changing a light bulb. Um, and Carter said, uh, well, I don't think that's a good idea. Dad says, you're, we're, we're not supposed to stand on roll chairs with wheels. And she says, okay, I'm almost done. And then promptly the chair shoots out from under her and she falls and, and manages to hit several things on the way down. And, and I asked her later as she was telling me the story, I said, what did Carter say? Did he give you a really good, like, I told you so? She says, no, he was so kind. So I went and asked Carter. I said, hey, man, what happened earlier? And he tells me the story. And I said, did it feel good to be right? And he goes, it feels so good. Goes, and it feels even more good when it's someone in our family who's wrong. And I said, I know. I know. Um, but I say all that to say that three or four months ago, we, we you know, the elders and, and church staff and I have been working on, a, on kind of a, a study and conversations about canoeing the mountains and how the, the church of the future will not look like the church of the past and there's challenges ahead and things may not look the same uh, by the end of this year as they looked at the beginning of this year and being right has never felt so bad. Uh, I will tell you that. Uh, boy, the challenges that have been behind us in the past couple of months, the challenges that are ahead of us, we don't know. We are off the map and in uncharted waters, and we're trying to find the tools and the means and the ways and the path to go to get where God is calling us to be. But it's been a blessing. It's been a rewarding to see how the church has, has, has grown and worked in all of these different circumstances and situations. Uh, and you can't help but ask that over the past months, and even now as we come back here today and we're sitting here in the auditorium that feels like home, in such a very real way to me and, to, and I know to many of you, you can't help but ask, is this the new normal? Is this the new normal? What if this was our new normal? The new normal means that maybe you can't meet in groups larger than 10, that worship happens in our homes and not in grand cathedrals with hundreds or thousands of people, that we can't even show our faces when we gather together, that we're afraid if we sing too loudly or for too long that it might risk our health and our lives. The government, whether you liked it or not, over the past month restricted the church's ability to meet. Unlike anything that's ever happened in our country before, we experience what it's like to have the government tell you, stay home this Sunday. And we want to stand up and yell 
this is not even church. Like that's our instincts, is to say this isn't how we worship. This isn't even church. But if we stop for a minute and listen to the voices of our sisters and brothers, Christians through the centuries and the millennia, echoing down to us from where they worshiped and how they came together, what they would tell us, if they could speak to us today, if we could only hear them, is that's the only kind of church we ever knew. Smaller than 10, in homes, afraid to show their faces, a fear of a lack of safety and health if they come to worship because of the threat of persecution and other things that are going on. That throughout the history of the world, the governments have often told Christians, you can't come together to meet. Christians say, that's the only church we've ever known. We say, that doesn't feel like church to us. And the power of the gospel is that it happens in each of these ways. You know, over the past two months, we've certainly missed the building. We've missed the building, but we've also proven that we didn't need it. We've proven that, that we can be the church without going to the building. We've just last week, uh, I love Lee, if you were on the, the Zoom meeting, if you weren't, Lee was kind of doing the welcome. Uh, he was on a boat on a lake with some of his brothers in Christ. And they were coming to us from the middle of the lake, which is really poetic because so many stories of the gospel happen with a few men in a boat. And here Lee welcomed us to services from just such a place where he was spending time with some of his brothers in Christ. That's church. Uh, over the last two weeks, uh, Sandra and, and, and Franco, if I'm saying it right, are in Italy. Uh, and as Dennis pointed out, they were worshiping to us from a mountain uh, he gave us the sign language, international sign language for mountain one week, uh, and from a, worshiping from the side of a mountain in Italy, where they were coming to us with barely enough English to understand, uh, but they have longed to be part of a church family, and through the beauty of technology and the internet, they're able to worship and take communion with us from the other side of the world, and you could see how excited they were to be part of a church family. That, that, what, a, what an incredible thing. I had to go get on Google and learn that benvenuto is Italian for hello because I needed to know how to greet them and welcome them to services. That's church. That's church. One Sunday on Zoom, I saw that, that one of the accounts, because when we go looking for who to, to allow to speak next in the service, you have to know what their names are. Uh, and the Steigers uh, little box was labeled the Steigers and Peter. And I thought, well, I know the Steigers have a Malachi. When did they get a Peter? Um, and, and I go and I look, and sure enough, uh, there are the Steigers and Peter Brenninger was joining them for worship in their living room that morning. And as he led, sitting next to them, the way that they got a Peter in their home that morning is through a small group, through a, a series of times that they came together uh, as brothers and sisters and families that are doing life and faith together in a small group. They came to be so close that when the church was apart, they still came together to break bread with one another. That's church. Over the past couple weeks, we've seen uh, as brothers and sisters uh, who are black and who are white standing with one another arm to arm and side by side saying, I love you and I support you no matter what. That's church. And Paul has kind of the same vision for Christianity. And he describes it in Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to go to that text 
here this morning and read it to you. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul understands that the church is not about buildings, that it is about people. And so he describes it starting in verse 14 uh, like this. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, For he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul writes, and he says, don't you know that the purpose of the cross was to take two humanities and make them one, to take those who were near and those who were far and bring them together and unite them. And when he chooses the image that he wants to use in this passage to describe what is happening when Jesus does that, what he describes is a building that's being built, not of stones like this one, not with a roof like this one, a building that is being built with Jesus as the chief cornerstone, with the apostles and the prophets as the foundation, and the bricks become the people who are held together by the Spirit which fills them and unites them. He's describing a temple. The temple that, that for him was in Jerusalem and that he knew was where God's presence had dwelt among his people for so long. But what he's saying now is that Jesus' purpose in the cross and in the resurrection, that, that as Dennis talked about, it was so agonizingly difficult for him to go do things this way, the way of death and sacrifice and becoming obedient even to death on the cross so that we might be saved. That Jesus did that for the purpose of bringing all of us together as living stones, building a new temple, not in Jerusalem, but wherever we go, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus as the cornerstone and every one of us as the stones that build this house. So what is church? Church is relationships. Church is family. Church is community. Church is Peace. These are what Christ died for. This is what he was trying to build. It wasn't cathedrals like this version of, of Notre Dame. Um, this, you can tell, was built by master, master craftsmen. Uh, this is, of course, a 3D puzzle that Mackenzie and I built during our wonderful time at home over the past couple of months. Uh, you'll notice that it doesn't have the fantastic flying buttresses that Notre Dame is really famous for because they were tedious and we got bored. But we almost finished. Uh, Jesus didn't die for great buildings. And I love the great buildings of the church, the historical church. They're 
beautiful to me and, and taught people so much about God for so many years, but Jesus didn't die for the buildings. Jesus wasn't in his resurrection rising up and saying, boy, they're going to build great cathedrals to me, churches that will scatter over the world, that will bring together hundreds and thousands of people who will worship, and people will know who I am and what I'm about because of the structures they build. Jesus isn't about the buildings. He wants to see families filled with brothers and sisters in Christ, and I mean church families. Church families, not born of the same parents, but born of the same faith. You know, I expect, this is my expectation, and it's a prayer-filled, faith-filled expectation and hope that this virus that's been plaguing the entire world keeps going away. That it keeps, uh, we keep finding as humans new ways to beat it back and that maybe uh, more people are able to responsibly and comfortably meet here at Northwest every week. That's my hope, is that the virus keeps getting defeated and the church keeps being able to come and, and be present in this building more and more for years to come. I'm not talking about weeks or months. I hope that every week for years, the number of people that come and are ministered to and blessed in this building by the family that meets here grows every single week and every single month and every single year. I mean, can you imagine if we looked back in five years and said, maybe what God was teaching us about having two services today was to uh, teach us now for the sake of safety, but in the future, so that we might be able to minister to even more people in this place. What if God is giving us technology that allows us to worship not just in this place, but, but globally, through the power of the, of the internet and technology, isn't just to get us safe now, but in the future, God has something in store where he's going to take the gospel through that media and through the ministry of this church into all the corners of the world. What if God is planting seeds today that will come to fruition in the ongoing growth of the kingdom of God in the future? I don't know. I haven't canoed the mountains before, but as we go off the map, we're just going to keep taking one more step with faith. As we look at what it might mean for us to be a faithful kingdom committed to growing as God's people. You know, I hope that uh, days are coming when we again fill this building as one crowded family. I look forward to that happening. But I hope that while we feel it more, that we need it less. I hope while we fill this building more in the coming weeks and months and years, that as more people come back to this address, that we need this building less. Let me tell you what I mean when I say that. One of the earliest uh, Christian movements uh, in, in church history took place in Ireland. Uh, and you know a little bit about St. Patrick, and most of that is myth, and a little bit of it's based in the reality of an early, early missionary. But when Christianity first went to Ireland, it started to look very different from the Christianity that had been growing out of Rome and with the Pope and the bishops uh, for centuries. The Christianity in Ireland was very rooted in the beauty of nature, but it was also rooted deeply in relationships. Ireland uh, brought a, a, a new kind of idea to Christianity that was less based on a church hierarchy where a bishop would minister to uh, dozens or a hundred people. Uh, in Ireland, the most important mentor to you was your anamchara, that's what they called it in the old Gaelic, an anamchara, and it was a soul friend. 
You had a soul friend, someone that you would meet with on a regular basis and who they would hold you accountable and they would lead you in spiritual guidance and they would lead you in the study of scripture and you would in turn guide and lead and hold them accountable. You were a mutually beneficial, mutually blessed friendship held together by the spirit for the sake of the kingdom of God. Almost any time you come together with groups of people and ask them, what do you want our church to have more of? They say, I want a discipleship program. And, and really, discipleship is really just two people committing to do the things of God together with one another in an ongoing basis. But you're going to be hearing more and more at Northwest about opportunities that we're going to have to give you structured, kind of programmed ways to do this very organic and natural spiritual thing, to develop soul friends, people you read the Bible with and pray with, and who are meeting with you and growing with you. We also need at Northwest to have prayer groups that are not just meeting here when we come together in classes and other stuff. We need opportunities that you have uh, to meet with your brothers and sisters and pray outside of this building for the things that are going on with our family and your families and you as individuals and the world and everything else. We need opportunities to come together more often for prayer. We need life groups that continue to connect, continue to study, pray, grow, and share life with one another. There's a reason that Jesus shunned the big crowds when he was in his ministry. There's a number of times that Jesus takes actions that, that make the large crowds disperse so that he can focus intently on his relationships and discipleship program that he was running with his apostles. He wanted to invest deeply in the few instead of a little in the masses. It's the Jesus way of doing ministry. Small groups matter so much because it allows us to do ministry in this Jesus way. We need families that are living faithfully at home. What a gift it is that a year or two ago we started at Northwest really focusing so much more on faith at home. Uh, empowering and equipping parents to be the primary disciple makers of their children. Because guess what? This year you got to become the teacher, the principal, the janitor, the head cook, the chef, the Bible class teacher. Uh, ooh, well, it's been a year. It's been a year. But what a blessing for parents to have more opportunities to share faith at home. And as we continue to think about what the church is going to look like, as we fill this building more and need it less, we need parents who are willing to disciple their kids at home, and in the car, and at work, and at school, and all along the way. You know, if this virus comes back in the fall, and some people think it will, and some people think it won't, and if we have another shutdown, and I'll just say my opinion is I don't think we will. I'm optimistic. I'm almost always optimistic. I'm hopeful for the ruin of this virus and the victory of humanity and for the church. Uh, that's where I am. I also just don't know if we'll have the social and political will to, to do this kind of thing again. But, but what if we do? What if for this or some other reason our church has to go through a season that we can again not come back to be at the building? I want this church to be even more ready than we were this time. I want this church to be so ready and so rooted in this core gospel reality that the church is not the building, it's the people and the relationships and the family and the spirit working in us and through us to do what God needs to be done. What I hope is that, that we will be ready to be a church without a building because that's the way that Christianity was born from the very beginning and it's how it exists in its best form in this and every age. 
It's how Jesus planted the church, how the Spirit watered it, how the apostles passed it down. The core of Christianity has always been family, relationships, and discipleship. It's not about attendance. It wasn't about, I love Bible study, but the earliest Christians were more about each other than they were about reading. They just were. They proclaimed the gospel, but they really just lived it. And so while we keep coming back to the building in each family's right time, let's keep trying to need the building less and needing the church more. The stones that Christ builds his church with aren't wrapping those of us who are sitting here today. The stones that Christ builds his church with are sitting in this room, watching a little bit later in living rooms and in this room later today. Jesus has always built his church with the lives of those who are baptized believers who through the power of the Spirit continue to live out what it means to be his people. That's the church. And we've got to keep making this more and more true. Laura's got some worksheets, just so you know. Not many of you, will, you know, are in the children's ministry. But our children's ministry this week is going to be filling out worksheets uh, that have at the bottom these little bricks. that say Jesus, apostles, prophets, and they fill those in. And then as they go uh, above that, they tar- start to think about, now who else are the other bricks that are part of my church? And they're not stones, they're your names. And our kids are going to be thinking about some of you who have been a blessing to their lives and building the walls of their church with the names of our church family. What a gift it is to have a church where we know with confidence that our children will be able to fill this out because they know the names of the people that Jesus builds with. We're going to close with 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4-5. through 5. The text we began with this morning as Alan read it with us. Peter writes, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans and chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The purpose of Jesus was never to build great buildings. It was always to build great churches. That happened not with stained windows. It didn't happen in buildings like this or any other, buildings that are plain and and don't have much art at all. Jesus was always about people, always about relationships, always about the Spirit working in and through those who belong to Him for the good of the kingdom. It continues to be true today. We're going to start next week. For two weeks, we're going to be doing our June for Missions program. It's very similar to our March for Missions program just in June. When we come back from that, one of the things we're going to talk about is how do we do Christianity in this kind of a world? And I don't know if this is the new normal or not, and it doesn't really matter because we're not doing this because we're afraid of a virus. We're doing this because it's the way Jesus built his church. And we're going to be creating opportunities for you to strengthen your relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ through Bible study and prayer and accountability. We're going to be creating opportunities for you to join with your brothers and sisters outside of this address to pray for each other in the world for the sake of the kingdom. We're going to be creating opportunities for you to be getting into more smaller groups, not because that's what anyone mandates we should do, but it's because what the greatest examples of how Christianity thrives have always shown us. It turns out that sometimes what looks like an unwelcome moment and an unwelcome season might just be a reminder of where we need to be.
We're going to take that reminder and go where God is calling us and leading us to be more in relationships and less worried about bricks. If you need to respond to the gospel, if God's calling you today to come forward to be baptized or for any other need, uh, please come forward this morning as an invitation song uh, is led. Oh. Uh-huh.